Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. City Christian Church. It is good to be with you here in Prescott and in Prescott Valley. Uh, As you just saw on the video with the baseball card, my name is Jay. Never was a baseball player, kind of a sportsmanship award guy myself, Uh, but it is fun to be a part of this series, and I'm glad to be able to preach here today with you. As some of you may know, I work with an organization called Mustard Seed Network. We try to make disciples and plant churches in urban Japan. Uh, Japan is a country with less than 1% of the population following Jesus. There are very few churches, very few pastors, very few active Christians. And the last time that I was here a year ago, I was able to tell you that we have a network of six churches. Uh, By God's grace, I can tell you that we now have seven churches. As this past Easter, we had a new church launched in the city of Hiroshima. And so we're really thankful for that. And hopefully the next time I see you, I can tell you that we have another church that was started in Yokohama. So every time you see Yokohama tires somewhere, would you just go ahead and pray for the new church plant in Yokohama? Uh, we are living in Tokyo. Uh, my, uh, my wife, my four kids, they're all right there. And this is home. We live in this city. This is where our church plant is. Uh, This city is the largest city in the world. 37 million people live in Tokyo. Uh, It has a density three times the the density of New York City, making it the largest concentration of lost people on the planet. And so we are trying to plant a church there and tell people about uh, Jesus uh, in Tokyo. Uh, I'm often asked, what is your daily routine? What is your weekly grind? What does this look like for you on a daily basis And it looks pretty similar to the pastors that you have here. Um, I preach, I teach, um, I do some training, I do some counseling, I do shepherding, premarital counseling. Uh, My wife, Caitlin, does uh, a lot of music ministry. Uh, We do leadership and vision casting. I do management of our team, strategic planning. We produce resources. I run Bible studies. But the most important thing, that we do in Japan is pray. That's prayer with church members after a worship service on a Sunday, prayer after a Bible study, prayer with our staff, prayer as a family. But mainly, the most important thing that we do in Japan is away from the crowds, away from the trains, away from the crowded streets, 
in a room with the door closed, with a Bible on the floor and a prayer list on the floor, praying to a God who is unseen. The most important thing that you can do for your church, for yourself, for your family, for your friends, is to talk to our Heavenly Father and ask Him to do great things. Now, usually private prayer is not part of the, uh, the ministry report that I do for Mustard Seed Network. Usually we talk about number of baptisms, number of churches planted, number of people coming. And yet, all of that ministry is completely fueled by what happens in quiet rooms of prayer. It has been said that prayer is not preparation of the work. Prayer is the work. Prayer is also uh, the most stress-reducing thing that someone can do because you're asking someone who is all-powerful to go ahead and take care of the burdens and stresses that you have in life. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Present your request to God and the peace of God that surpasses understanding. That peace will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, we take these stresses, we give them to God, we ask God, would you go ahead and take care of those things? And then we don't feel any more stress because they're on his plate, not on our plate anymore. <clears throat> there's so much stress and anxiety, and there's many mental, mental health concerns today, but the very best remedy, which is in prayer, it's not sought. Uh, there's years ago, a non-Christian man in Japan, asked my wife, uh, it was a guy in Japan, but he's a Western guy, not a Japanese guy. I asked my wife, do you meditate? And Caitlin replied, well, I pray. And he said, oh, well, that's the same thing. Now we know that it's not. It's not at all the same thing. And maybe if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you might be thinking that prayer is just kind of the Christian form of meditation but it's not at all the same. Especially Buddhist or secular or spiritualist meditation is nothing like Christian prayer. Now, there is a form of Christian meditation, like the psalmist says, I meditate on your word. Here's a Christian meditation and Buddhist meditation. Here's the difference. In Buddhist meditation, you try to empty your mind. And in Christian meditation, you fill your mind up. You're trying to fill your mind up with thoughts about Christ, trying to fill your mind up with God's word. You're trying to fill your mind up with truth. Fill it with worship. Fill it with affections that you have for God. And the main difference between Christian prayer and secular non-Christian meditation is that Christian prayer is communion with and communication with another person, namely God. There's one time I went into a coffee shop uh, in Osaka, Japan, and I saw behind the counter, right, this was right after we had this big uh, landslide in the city of Kumamoto in South Japan. Uh, and they had this little piece of paper taped to the wall, and it said, meaning, we pray for Kumamoto. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And so I asked the, the nice barista, I said, uh, who do you pray to? And she said, Shizen, meaning nature, the universe. I said, I also pray for Kumamoto, but I pray to God as a Christian. Christians, we pray to God. 
And spending time in prayer with God is a very Christian thing. We're talking to God, our Father, the Creator. And so as we talk about prayer today, the first question that we have to ask is, in prayer, do you know who you're talking to? Because so often I hear these very, very flippant prayers before meals, or I hear people talk to what must be bro God. And I just am kind of wondering, do you realize who you're talking to? Do you realize that the English words that you're speaking into the air in prayer to the invisible God are heard by the creator who created everything, but he himself was never created and has existed for all eternity. Do you know that the one who knows the ocean depths that humans have never explored and also knows the 200 million trillion stars and is currently present there at those stars in the far reaches of space and is present in the depths of the ocean and is currently present in this room and controls your next breath, that's who you're talking to. Do you realize that? Do you understand that you're coming into his presence? And if coming into his presence has never made you thankful or joyful or fearful enough to press your face to the ground in fearful reverence of God, if you've never had that experience, you probably don't know who you're talking to. If coming into God's presence to pray has never made you confess and repent all of your hidden sin and then whisper Words that you know are not fitting and not appropriate enough for a majestic king, and yet you trust his mercy enough to venture to speak to him. If you've not had that experience, I'm not sure that you know who you're talking to when you pray. If you've not come to God in prayer and realized that he loves you enough to die for you, and that that reality has not just made all of your fears and worries crumble to pieces and made you filled with joy. I'm not sure that you know who you're talking to when you pray. Flippant, infrequent prayer might be symptomatic of the fact that we don't realize who we're talking to in prayer. We're talking to God. How do we talk to that person, that all-important person? How do we talk to God? How do we pray? And how do we pray well? Thankfully, God became a man and taught us. And we're going to learn about prayer from the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15 today, and Jesus is going to be our teacher about prayer. But here's the main point that we're going to see, is that prayer is central to the life of the Christian because it is a way to delight in our Heavenly Father who delights to answer our God-centered requests. You have been studying the spiritual disciplines today. The discipline is prayer. And yes, prayer is a discipline, but it is also a delight. It is a delight to get to talk to God. So before we learn from God's word about how to pray, let's pray and ask for God's help. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. 
from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Father in heaven, we thank you for allowing us to pray and speak to you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that through your words, you teach us all how to pray right now. And we ask that by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, that this church would be a church of regular prayer. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew 6, uh, verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen, if you're note takers, I got three points for you. And then on the last point, I got several sub points. All right, here it comes. Point number one, private prayer to God is a sign of sincere faith. In verse five, you saw the word hypocrites. Hypocritical prayer, sincere faith. Uh, the, the prayer of someone with sincere faith, people who make a show on the outside, whose hearts are insincere on the inside. That's the hypocrite. Anyone can make a good show of prayer in public, at a religious gathering, at the synagogue, on the street corner, or the, the prayer at the annual prayer breakfast. Anyone can do that. Hypocrites can do that. But people with a real, a real prayer life will go and pray in secrets. Because of my role as a pastor and a mission leader, I often have this opportunity to coach people in prayer. And people can tell me that they don't have a prayer life without telling me that they don't have a prayer life. So I'll, I'll ask them, hey, how's your prayer life? How does this, how's this discipline work in your life? Tell me about this. And they'll say, oh, for me, I just like to pray. I always pray in the shower. I, uh, I pray while I'm driving. That's my place to pray. Or I like, you know, my, my time to pray is right before I go to sleep. You know, my head hits the pillow. I start praying. It's like a good way to end the day. It's a great way to go out. You know what I'm talking about? Now, listen, multitasking prayer is not wrong. Jesus is talking about prayer with a singular focus. Go into your room. Shut the door. And it's an extended time. It's set aside time for only praying to God. And Jesus did this by example. Look at a few verses. Mark 1 said, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In Luke 5, it says, But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Luke 6, In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, sacrificing sleep, to wake up early, and to pray all night. Listen, by all means, continue to do multitasking prayer while feeding a child, while shaving, while driving, while washing dishes. But follow Jesus's example and follow his commands, his teaching to have these set aside times of singular focus prayer where that is all you are doing is saying this time is for God, for talking to God. Do both. Go into your room, shut the door where no human sees you, 
and pray to your father, God, who sees you there in private. Now, look, this is not against public prayer. Uh, If you look at the book of Acts in the New Testament, you're going to see that the church is gathering for prayer together. Uh, They're having big prayer meetings. Jesus is not against us praying together as a church. In verse 9, he's going to say, pray our Father, plural, our, all of our Father in heaven. So it's okay to pray in groups, but private prayer should be a part of the life of every Christian. So here's a big question. On average, how many days a week do you spend at least 10 to 15 minutes of uninterrupted prayer alone in a room? How many days a week do you give at least 10 to 15 minutes of singular focus prayer to God? And if it's not that many. We have to ask, why not? Is it because we feel we're too busy? Is it because we think it's not enjoyable? If we have at least one streaming service, let alone four or five streaming services, then we know that we're finding our enjoyment somewhere else and we're not actually that busy. Is it because we think that prayer is not effective? I could get more done by doing rather than praying. Is it because we think that? It's been said that when humans work, humans work. And when humans pray, God works. Notice that Jesus is not telling his disciples to to go to a religious site or to face a certain direction when they pray like other religions. In Japan, people often, they go to a temple or they go to a shrine, some religious site, this religious spiritual space, and that's where they pray. But the true God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He can be prayed to anywhere. You can do that multitasking prayer while you're driving in a car, while you're riding on a train or in an airplane. And how does that work? How do we pray to an unseen person while moving? Our globe is always spinning. And here we are praying to God. How does this work? God is not bound geographically. Therefore, he can be reached anywhere. When you're at the park, when you're at the office, when you're in prison, when you're in a space station, when you're in a submarine, and including when you're in this room, in this church building, you can talk to God. And you can also talk to God when you're in the most private room of your house and close the door where no one else can see you. Go there and pray. And people with a sincere faith, not the phony outside only hypocrite faith, people with a sincere faith will pray to God, just the two of them together. And it is there that God listens. So someone might ask, okay, God listens in prayer. When does he speak? Someone might say, you know, my main goal in prayer is to hear God speak to me. No, that is not how it works. God has spoken. He has given us his word in the Bible. And it is living and active, meaning it can impact you today and it could impact Christians a thousand years ago. And for thousands of years before this, God's word has been impacting God's people. It's living and active. Be very careful of the idea that God is going to audibly speak and give you new special revelations and new special messages. We believe the Bible is sufficient 
It is sufficient. It is all we need for life and godliness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, the word of God is breathed out by God and it makes the people of God thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not 90% equipped, not 95% equipped, not 99% equipped for some good works. No, thoroughly equipped, 100% equipped for every work that God would call you to. This, we believe in the sufficiency of scripture. This is all you need. So here's what I recommend. Tomorrow when you're reading, tomorrow when you're going to God in prayer, do this, read the Bible first and hear God speak to you through his word. Start at the beginning of a book of the Bible and then every day go straight through one book of the Bible. After you hear God speak, speak back in prayer. And that's the conversation. God speaks through his word. We respond in prayer. Next, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, he said, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Here's point number two. Christians pray with intentional words. Friends, pray out loud. The vast majority of prayer in the Bible is out loud, spoken words. Now look at verse uh, 7, says the, the, the phrase, empty phrases. The words empty phrases are there, describing some kind of babble or meaningless repetition of sounds, words, or phrases. Repeating mantras, repeating sounds, or just lighting a candle as your prayer, or spinning a prayer wheel, or uh, Buddhist prayer flags. I don't know if you've seen these pictures of flags where every flap is supposed to be a prayer to some unseen kind of spirit. Those are all unchristian. Why? They're impersonal. And we are praying to a person, a personal God. Christian prayer is to a personal God who is our father, and we are his children. We use words to communicate to God, not wheels, not flags, not babble, not repetition. And verse 8 says, God knows what you need before you ask him. Meaning, we do not have to inform God of the situation before we ask him things. So imagine you, you, like, you need to pray for your brother who has a hard heart, who doesn't believe in Jesus. You can just say that. You don't have to say, God, you know, you know my brother, he's got a really hard heart. You know, his heart is kind of closed off to you. You know that I asked him to church this past Easter, and he made up that excuse of having to get a haircut on Sundays. You don't have to tell God that. You could just say, God, please open my brother's heart to believe, help him to believe the gospel. You just make your request. Someone might think, well, actually, I think God will like my prayer if it's a little longer. And if I make it longer, then it's better. And he likes the prayer more. Like if you get a really long email, you can't send the short response. It's not like that. Jesus says you're not heard based on the many words that you spout out. Just present your requests to God. He knows what you need before you ask him. God is omniscient. He knows all things. You don't have to give him the news report before you ask him. He knows what you need. The question might then be asked. Why do I have to ask him if he already knows? Here's the answer. God delights in our requests. God has ordained the universe to work in this way, that he would respond to our prayers. Prayer is the means through which God will work. 
Now you've noticed that in the main point, and over and over again, I've said the word requests. Yes, we're talking about requests. I've heard people kind of deride and uh, talk down about prayer that's filled with requests. People saying things like, well, I don't want to just go to God and just only ask him a bunch of things. But it's actually biblical prayer is asking God for things. Now, there's other things you can do in prayer. You can remember this by the acronym ACTS. You can see it on the, the next slide here. See ACTS going down. This is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Fill your prayer with all of these things. Worship, confess sin, tell God thank you. But here the supplication, asking God for things, this is actually the majority of the prayers that you see in the Bible. And when Jesus is about to give us this model prayer in Acts chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, what we call the Lord's Prayer, this example prayer that he gives us is filled with six requests. Is totally chock full of asking God for things. So this is point number three. Prayer is filled with God-centered requests. Having told us some of the ways to pray and not pray, Jesus now gives this model prayer, and we're going to break each one of those requests into a little sub-point here. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, Jesus has already told us to call God Father in verses 6 and 8. But I want you to think of all of the titles that he could have told us to call God. You know, when you pray, pray like this. Almighty creator, eternal one, Lord, king of the universe. Those would all have been fitting. But he says, call him Father. Why? Jesus came to die for the sins that we as people committed against God. He died to purify us of those sins and turn us into God's children. We are justified, we are forgiven, and then we are adopted into God's family. And Ephesians 2 says we were children of wrath and now we're made into children of God. So pray and call God Father in prayer. Now, if you had a really good father, Calling God Father is going to make sense to you. If you did not have a good father, then you can also understand this deeply because your experience of a bad father makes you realize the need for good fathers. Bad fathers are a testimony that a better father must exist. Another standard for fatherhood must be out there. C.S. Lewis said, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Understand your very realization that your father was bad or crooked. It aligns with this deep truth inside you that a good, straight, perfect father must exist. Call God father. And then here's point 3a. Ask for God to be glorified. That's what we're asking when we say, hallowed be your name. We're praying for God's name to be revered. We're asking for God to be worshipped, not slandered. Christians have a disgust for people insulting God. And so we're praying that he would be praised. Uh, humans, all humans, have this natural inclination to want our things to be praised. 
this is why, as a Denver Broncos fan, I loved listening to sports radio and watching sports news between the years of 2012 and 2015. Now, not so much. But between those years, I loved listening to people say, oh, this is the best offense we've ever seen. Oh, this is the best defense we've ever seen. Peyton Manning is the best. And I hated people saying Tom Brady is the best. No, that's blasphemy. Don't say that. I didn't like that. Fans like hearing their team praised, even if we had nothing to do with their success. You like hearing your favorite artist, your favorite band, your favorite movie talked about as the best. You want others to understand and see, yes, that is the greatest TV show of all time. You want people to recognize that. Now, we know none of those things actually deserve praise and worship, but humans long for appropriate, fitting praise. And Christians long for God to be worshipped. We want him to be glorified. We want his name to be sanctified, seen as holy and separate and above all other names. That's why you loved worshipping together just a few moments ago and hearing the voices of others praise the name of Jesus. You long for God's name to be hallowed. So you make this request, God, please make people in Prescott and Prescott Valley and in Japan and the United States and all over worship your name as great. And we pray, come back, Lord Jesus, so that all people worship you and those who doubted will be silenced and fall on their knees and worship you and your name will be totally reverenced. Verse 10, Jesus says, pray like this. May your kingdom come. We want God's kingdom to come finally in the end, but also for it to expand on earth now. Point 3B, ask for God's kingdom to expand. And the main way that we see his rule expand is through seeing more and more people submit to God's lordship. People come to faith and repent and they're baptized and they enter into God's kingdom And God's kingdom grows as his church, the global church of Jesus Christ, as it grows and expands around the world. This is a missions prayer. A heart that prays, may your kingdom come, is also a heart that wants to speak the gospel, wants to evangelize, wants to tell people about Jesus. And this prayer is fulfilled when God empowers his church to do Matthew 28 which says, go therefore and make disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So not only do we make disciples, this is we're seeing his kingdom come, his kingdom expand with more and more disciples, but we're also teaching them to observe or obey all that Jesus commanded. We want them to obey his commands or do his will. That's the next part of the prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Point 3C, ask for people to live according to God's will and design. We want God to be obeyed. And the more people live for God's will and not their own will, the more true goodness we see in the world around us. Do you want to be a better person? Ask God to do his will in your life, in you personally, and the Holy Spirit will come and bear fruit 
in your life fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That's what it looks like for you to do God's will, for the Holy Spirit to animate your life in such a way where the Holy Spirit is making you live more like Jesus and less like your sinful flesh. Do you want to have a better home, better family? Ask for God to do his will in your family. Ask for God to do his will in your country. Pray for God's will to be done in the world and for a perfect world. And we pray for Jesus to come back because it's then that his kingdom covers the earth and his will will be done perfectly. This is the mission of Jesus' disciples. Make disciples. Kingdom is coming. Teach them to obey. Not just teach them. Teach them to obey, to do his will. That's our mission. But we have needs for this mission. And therefore, we pray in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We're not praying, give us this day our monthly bread so we don't have to worry about bread for a while. Yeah. We are left in this place of dependence on God, constantly needing God. And that is a good place to be. So point 3D, ask God to provide for his people and his mission. God is a good father who wants to provide. And there's no reason for you to think that God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy all the time. But God does want to give you what you need. He wants to give you your daily bread. He wants to provide for his mission. I could tell you so many stories, fun stories about God providing for our mission, his mission in Japan. And sometimes he has done it through you, Quad City Christian Church. And we are so thankful. Verse 12, Jesus said, pray like this, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Christians know that we must apologize. We must forgive. We know that we're sinners. The biggest sign of someone not understanding the gospel is they think that they are a person who is without the need for grace and forgiveness. So point three E, ask God for forgiveness as you forgive. And this prayer comes with a pretty important aside in verses 14 and 15, where Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. Real faith that knows we were forgiven at the cost of the blood of Jesus, God's son, God in flesh. If we know that we've been forgiven like that, we will forgive. Ask for God's help in forgiving and forgive others. Point three F, ask God to help us to not sin. Friends, we are too gentle and accommodating to sin. And we need to make war and fight sin. And we need to kill sin. We need to put it to death, not tolerate it. The true Christian, the real disciple prays, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ask God to help you to flee from the effects of the evil one and to also flee from the evil in your own heart. Ask God to help you to not sin against God and against people. Ask God to take gossip out of your life. Pride, lust, vanity, hatred, judgment, slander, the fear of people that makes you constantly worried about what they think of you, the excess worry that makes you doubt God, God's provision. Ask God to take greed out of your life, all those things out of your life. Ask God to keep you from them. This is the model prayer 
that Jesus gave to his disciples. Let me get really, really practical so that you can pray tomorrow. You need a time and a place and a plan. Write it down. Time, place, plan. You need to actually time when I'm going to pray. If it's going to be before work, you know you have to wake up a little earlier. Set your alarm and decide. But don't just decide the time, decide the place. Actually go and visually see where is that place going to be? Is it going to be on the floor? Is it going to be on this couch? Is it going to be in this room? Is it going to be in the side room? Where's it going to be? Decide the place, time, place, and a plan. What are you going to pray about? For me, uh, this is making a prayer list. Uh, I have the prayer list. I carry it with me. What you need to do is just make a list, start making a list of every single person you care about. Make a list of, talk about things, ministries in this church. Uh, make a list, talk about, uh, I'd love it if you'd pray for us in Japan. And write all those things down and suddenly you realize, wow, I can pray for a really long time if I just pray for everything that's on this list. If your list gets too long, break it into two lists. Now you have two days worth of prayer lists. If it gets really long, now you've got seven days worth of prayer lists. And every day, pray for that and set it on repeat and continually ask God to do great things in those people's lives and in those ministries. Time, place, plan. To conclude, I just want to ask this. How in the world is this possible? How is prayer possible? How could we possibly hope to have God listen to us? God is important. We're small. We're sinners. Many religions feel that you have to, you know, give God something in order to be able to pray or to have someone pray on your behalf. So in Japan, you're going to see people go up to shrines and temples, and there's this big wooden box, and they take a big coin, and they throw the coin in the box, so it makes a big noise. And there's a bell, and you take the bell, and you ring the bell, and then you clap, and all that is noise to get the God's attention, this idol that's there. And then once you got the attention, then you can make the request. You say, okay, God, please give me a promotion. We don't do that. Christians don't pray like that. We believe the gospel and we know that we cannot earn a hearing with God by giving an offering. There's nothing God needs. God cannot be bribed. Further, we know that everything that we receive in the gospel is through grace, including the ability to pray. So how? How do we receive grace to be able to pray? Do we have to pray through a saint? Do we have to pray through a priest? Do they have to do it on our behalf? Now, this is not gospel-shaped prayer. Here's what Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a priest who went to God on our behalf and who prays for us. Jesus offered his blood. Jesus died for sin. He rose. We can pray because of the cross. We can pray because he is alive. We pray to the Father. We pray through the Holy Spirit, who is everywhere, including right here. And we pray in the name of Jesus. You notice that we pray in the name of Jesus? Why do we do that? It's because we are praying based on his merit. 
and not ours. We are praying in his name, not ours. We are praying for his glory and not ours. Church, talk to God. Find delight in talking to God and see God do great things. To close today, I want to ask you to stand and pray the Lord's Prayer with me right now. And I want to ask you to make a prayer, a habit of praying every day as a disciple of Jesus. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.